Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Focus today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson, and we often talk about the subject of PTSD. It's uh, an amazing um, season that people go through. And I am so honored to have with us today Dr. Tim Murphy. He's a licensed psychologist specializing in these areas. Uh, he's written a book that's fascinating called The Christ Cure 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. Previously, he served, by the way, there's a picture of the cover of his book on the television screen for those watching on the Dove TV network, so you may want to check that out. And uh, his website is Dr. Tim Murphy, so D-R-T-I-M-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com, DrTimMurphy.com. And he served 18 terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. That's enough to give anybody PTSD. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, friend? Nice to have you. It's, uh, Perry, it's great to be with you. What a great honor to be with you today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is such a huge subject. Uh, and as I said earlier, sometimes, uh, uh, Dr. Murphy, we have a tendency to just think this is a, uh, a veteran's problem. And really, it can be a problem from anybody that has suffered trauma. Why did you decide to take this on? Well, I had um, someone who experienced my own trauma in life, and uh, when I came, finally came to terms with it, admitting that uh, growing up in a home with an alcoholic father who was physically abusive to us, but you know, I kept pushing that aside. And I had a life where, if you look at my resume, my gosh, it's the envy. I put myself through college and graduate school and published articles and taught in a school of medicine and then uh, would give talks around the country, began television and radio work for many years, had my own Monday evening radio show long before Fraser Crane, and <laughs> also had um, published uh, a book called The Angry Child, published another book on overcoming passive aggression, ran for the state Senate, won twice, ran for Congress, won eight times, passed major legislation. And if that wasn't enough, because I felt I need to achieve more because I'm just not satisfied. There's something I'm hungry for. Uh, somehow I have to, if I achieve more, maybe then I will accept myself. You don't think of politicians struggling with self-esteem, but you know what a lot of us do. So I also joined the Navy while I was in Congress. I worked in the Navy as a psychologist on a unit with post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury, uh, and served on some aircraft carriers too. But in that, I thought, boy, this is some of my calling, working with people who have faced trauma as veterans. But actually, the fact is that about 70% of us face some life-threatening trauma to ourselves or someone close to us. And about 20% of those folks will have some lingering symptoms uh, that can overpower them, and 10% with full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, with anxiety and panic attacks and avoidance and broken relationships and depression. The list goes on and on. But this particular book came out of really when, to be, to be humble, Perry, when I hit my own low spot in life where I would find myself in the morning just say, I can't go on. And what I call cursing the sunrise, oh, here I am for another day. I never wanted to end my life, but I certainly didn't want to face it again. And I had friends who reached out to me because what happens that, you know, what do they say? Uh, God sometimes takes people out of your life that you don't need and puts people out into your life that you do need, even when you think that's not there. Mm -hmm. And we began reading the Bible more. I'd studied the Bible, did some Bible studies. 
but really was fascinated with the Apostle Paul. And when we look at his life, um, in reading all the letters that he wrote in the book of Acts, this is someone who should have had major PTSD from the beatings, the whippings, uh, the, the near drowning at sea, the bitten by a snake, the robbed, pushed out of town, um, <clears throat> stoning and left for dead. He had so many traumatic events. I think I counted 30 or more that we know of in the Bible. So, so why wasn't he suicidal, alcoholic, isolated, uh, a hermit? He wasn't. In, in fact, he became arguably one of the most influential pure human beings that ever walked this earth. And so as I read about this, I said, well, instead of being caught up in the arrogance of my own self-pity, I need to learn from him. And I really began to sit down and write, and not knowing where this was going. Pierre, I think you would understand this. I'm not saying this in any bragging way, but it really was, I think, the Holy Spirit says, here's what you're going to write. And I just wrote. And it kept pouring out. I was just a vessel. Wow. So I say, anything good in this book, give credit to God. I'll take credit for mistakes. But... Very painful to write this, though, but but it's a hopeful book to read. Uh, it's called The Christ Cure, uh, again, and it, uh, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma. And uh, check it out at the bookstores or online. Uh, Dr. Murphy, be, be, before we get into the book a little bit, I, how did you go from this incredible resume of success and hit the wall? What was, what was missing? What was missing was my family. And, and although I would go to church and I would pray, and I oftentimes prayed, there's a certain amount of, of a point when you really have to surrender, when you have to let go, when you have to accept. And I did that in times in my life. I mean, some people say, well, were you born again? I said, yeah, which time? Because <laughs> uh, we should all renew. Like Paul says, be transformed by a renewing of your mind. That's a, that's a long-term verb that isn't one and done. But what happened to me is in the many years that I was working hard at hospitals and working hard in politics and in the Navy, I was never home. Probably 25 years or so, barely had a relationship at home. My wife and I lived together. We loved each other, but really weren't respecting each other. And, and my life was in danger of falling apart. Uh, and I knew I had to change. And when my wife came to Washington, she says, come on, we're going home. We're going to work on this. Uh, what a wonderful experience that was to have someone to reach out. And then friends came around, too. So um, this is where that was my bottom that I hit. You know, I, I look at this that uh, in, in our lives, Perry, sometimes the Lord says, OK, you got this. Go ahead. You want it free will. You got to do what you got to do. And sometimes we get a little whisper in our ear that says, you're not doing the right way. And sometimes it's that stronger tap on the shoulder where friends or other people say, you need to change your life. And sometimes we get hit by the two by four upside the head, where we're told you can't be taking splinters out of someone else's eye when you have a plank on your own. But what happens to us when, we're, when we have our own struggles with depression, we don't see it in ourselves. We can see it in someone else, but we don't see it in ourselves. I was really good at helping everybody else but not very good at taking care of myself. And so what's that great line to win the whole world, but lose your soul. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up and realized I'm not doing this anymore and could walk away from politics and stayed involved in psychology because I love working with veterans, first responders and, and medical providers who struggle with this and clergy that I work with um, to help us understand there is tremendous hope. And we learn the lessons from those who have hurt the most. And as you know, the Bible's filled with stories. Uh, Job wasn't someone who said, hey, my life is great. Let's see this. Look at Solomon. He struggled 
even though he had it all. Uh, look at Noah. Look at uh, look at Elijah hiding in a cave and saying, "I can't do this anymore." And I love it when this is like someone with PTSD. You know, he has that thing in the mountain, and then then uh, uh, his, the, the the king's wife's coming after him. He hides under a broom tree, then under a cave. And they said that the, the wind came by and shook everything. The earthquake came by. The fires came by. And Elijah couldn't hear it through all that. Sure, that's like the noise we have in our own heads. We're so filled with our negative thoughts, our depressive thoughts, our, our, our thoughts. We can't hear that all along God is there until God said to him, and I love this line, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What, what are you doing? And that's that wake-up call we have to understand. It may be a whisper, but it's always there. And, and that's where I take psychological principles in, in this book. I take stories of people who have really been through awful circumstances, but have come out better because of it, not despite it, but because of it. And everything is interlaced with stories from the Bible, particularly Paul, of how other people have done this. So I want people to understand our lives can get better uh, no matter what. There is hope out there, no matter how bad it gets. Uh, and that's why I, I, I'm so enthusiastic and inspired by this. But I should say this, too. This book is not just about people who are broken, but it's also for the people who love them. Because many times we know someone, we know they're struggling, and they don't want to get better. They don't see themselves getting better. This is a how-to guide of what to do. This isn't a theological treatise. This isn't a heavy-duty academic book. This is what do you do step-by-step, day-by-day. Here's the biblical lessons. Here's the psychological reports on this. Here's what you do. And, uh, and I'm happy to say that the notes I get back from people of how the changes it's made in their life is inspiring to me. And I say, well, give yeah. all credit. He deserves it. The book is entitled The Christ Cure. Check it out. All right. You know, uh, Dr. Murphy, you, you, again, are a fulfillment of something I say often here on the program. Whatever God saves you from, brings you through, he turns you around and makes you a minister to. Um, given your experience in your own PTSD, helping others, is it, I don't know if the word curable is correct. Is it curable? Can, can you get over it? I think people can. Um, I mean, most people who experience trauma will have some temporary stress for that, but they can get better. What happens, there's three, three levels, Perry. It's a brilliant question you're asking because we have the initial trauma and there's nothing else we can do about it. I tell people, you can't unset the sun. It's over. Mm-hmm. But there's a second phase of trauma where we keep repeating. It's called loop memory. We go over and over and over this. And someone who has a traumatic event and thinks about it, they may literally think about it tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of times. And what that does each time, it sets the brain off with it, with our fight or flight response. And the brain sends out stress hormones, which can affect our memory, our problem solving, our, our thinking skills. Uh, we can put on weight, uh, our joints hurt. All these physical changes occur because we're changing the architecture of our brain. But we can intervene on that by saying, look, we're going to go over those memories and realize there's some things we accept and recognize this is the value that people of faith have, that when we say we're part of something bigger, we believe in God, we trust in God, and God's grace is there, this is not a burden you have to carry and you can go forward. But there's another level of this, too, in dealing with trauma, what I call the reaction-reaction, where we feel depressed or we feel anxious, and then we go, Oh, goodness, I'm anxious. Wow, if I'm anxious, I must really be in bad shape. I think I'm having a heart attack. Boy, if I'm in this bad shape, maybe I can never get better. And we go in this death spiral of doom, and we don't need to do that. So that's another place we can intervene. And I I believe it because I've seen it time and time again. People can and do get better. Hard to do it if you don't have hope. Well, Um, on a personal note to you, I mean, you're a highly trained professional. 
and then you go through this. How did you balance psychology and faith? Well, that's a great question, because most psychologists refuse to talk about faith in the office, and it's no wonder many Christians don't trust psychologists, and many psychologists don't trust religion. It's the only way, I think, to do it. And what has happened is, over time, the more people I met and the more I work with, I realize it had to be done. What I do with my clients now is, in my initial history-taking interview, I said, are you a believer? Do you have a certain faith? Yes. What is it? Do you, do you practice religion? What is it? How often do you practice it? Do you pray? They like being asked those questions. The majority of people who are, are religious, first of all, they get better if they're more likely if they're religious and sustained. But people report they like to be asked those questions because you're making a connection with them. If you avoid talking about it like it's some sort of a stigma, then they won't talk about it. So what I, I see is over time that being more and more confident and unafraid. And then that also shows for people they're unafraid, too. At the beginning of the book, I begin with some very humble descriptions of, of the messes that I've been through, and I lace that throughout the book. Not only me, but other people I've seen who've made terrible mistakes in their life, because sometimes trauma we bring in ourselves, and sometimes it's from the outside. But what I see is a groan in my confidence of helping other people, because I've seen other people get better as they embrace faith and psychology together. Um, one other question before I take a break. I, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to ask the question. I don't know... Those of us who have had maybe moments of depression can really understand and be empathetic with those who have lived deep in depression. Mm -hmm. We just want you to take a pill and snap out of it. Um, can you describe your, your depression? Yeah, depression is really um, a state where you feel low energy. You don't want to get out of bed. Uh, you may eat too much, eat too little. It's distant relationships. You feel like you're in a fog. You feel like even when people are talking to you, they're really not connecting because you're so overwhelmed with your own emotions. Now, physiologically, there's changes that take place in our bodies when the parts of our brain to even give us um, pleasure in life is not there. That condition is called anhedonia, where there is no pleasure. Uh, we don't see that. And now people who are depressed don't always appear that way. They can be happy at times. We, you may have known people that we were surprised when they have a suicide attempt. Says, gee, I was just talking to Joe yesterday. He seemed happy. Because people can enter situations and still do that. They can hold, still hold it together because somewhere in them is a glimmer of hope that things change. But overall, the person who reaches that point feels there's no hope. There's no one and there's no future. And they struggle day to day. And because of their very low energy and because their brain's always sending out this signal that there's no real pleasure there, people begin to believe their own messages. And part of shaking out of depression is to help change the way they think and change the way they behave. You mentioned pills, and I actually think we're an over-medicated society. Medication may change the way you feel. It doesn't change how you think. It doesn't change how you behave. Mm. As a matter of fact, the majority of people with depression medication does not work. Let me, uh, let me take a quick break. Let me show our viewers and listeners. We're talking, what an honor uh, to talk to uh, Dr. Tim Murphy with us today. He's authored a book. It's a must read called The Christ Cure. 
10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. There's a picture of the cover of the book on the screen. And you can go to drtimmurphy.com is his website. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's Daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Uh, what an honor to have with us today, uh, Dr. Tim Murphy. He's a licensed psychologist. He specializes in trauma. Uh, he served in the U.S. House of Representatives as a congressman in the state house or in the state senate. Uh, but he's authored a book that kind of brings it all together. It's called The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. And again, for those of you watching on the Dove Television Network, there is a picture of the cover of the book. If you're listening on radio, uh, just remember the title, uh, the Chris, uh, excuse me, the Christ Cure, and his website is drtimmurphy.com. Drtimmurphy.com. Dr. Murphy, I could have you for a week. <laughs> uh, there's so much here. Um, I want to come back to depression just for a moment. Um, how do, how do you protect yourself when you're depressed from becoming angry, or do you? Becoming angry? Oh, that's a great question. Because as a matter of fact, one of the symptoms that may be with their with depression is anger and agitation, uh, picking fights with people, short temper, and all those are, are another way of signaling that. And one of the points that I let people know about is when you encounter someone who seems moody and angry, don't just assume that they're a jerk. I always assume they've got something else going on in their life that's a problem. There's some pain behind the anger, and one of the ways that we, we help people is help them recognize that this is where spouses or loved ones saying, why is my husband or wife always so moody and upset about things and short-tempered? Well, it may well be you're dealing with depression. And so that has to be dealt with. Getting in more arguments or threatening people isn't going to be the way around it. And that's what's so beautiful about the biblical messages that come through when Jesus, he's, he's so filled with compassion, even when Peter, you know, with his major mess ups, says, uh, hey, am, am I more important? Or how many times should I forgive? And Jesus says, Peter, come on. How many times I got to tell you? Let's go on with this. Uh, let's get it together. Uh, and, and and that's the beautiful message that comes when you meld the ideas of patience and mindfulness and meditation that comes from the psychological aspects. But put that together with the biblical aspects and understand that we don't have to live lives of anger. But behind that, one more thing, Perry, and this is really important. A lot of times what's behind depression is a sense of shame, particularly if we've been through trauma. Guilt is okay. Now, that sounds weird, but guilt is okay. Guilt is reasonable and rational. If we've done something wrong, we should feel guilty about it. And we have a path we need to take with that. We need to reconcile with those we've hurt. We need to make amends with anybody we've hurt. We need to apologize to those who hurt. But also, we need to, um, uh, if, we, if we get caught up in shame, so guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is, I am wrong. 
Guilt is, I'm, I've made mistakes. Shame is, I am a mistake. God has made a mistake. I shouldn't be here. When we're in that mindset, there's not much, many places you can go. So I tell people, let's let's deal with your guilt. But part of guilt is also not taking responsibility for things you had nothing to do with. Don't take blame for something that happened and say, well, I should have done this. I, I, if only I'd done this. No, that's not reasonable. But the next part is forgiveness, or we condemn. And so I set this up in the book of shame versus guilt and forgiveness versus condemnation. And under this, this is very important. If we look to other people to forgive us for everything we've ever done, we're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. Because many times people have their own issues. Mm -hmm. We can apologize, we do what we can, we make amends, but they have other issues. Look at my own, uh, I own my own life, and probably your own life too, you know, there's some people who are going to remember and carry the grudge, and that's going to be it. Jesus tells us don't do that, forgive, seven times 70 and more. But here's the, here's the thing that happens. These six words, God forgives, others might, I must. And so that's an obligation that we have been told to us to uh, you know, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us. Our, that's something we have to do, uh, forgive wow. us our debt. And that's, Jesus told us to do that. But it's very, very hard when we're depressed. It's very, very hard when we've experienced trauma. But time and time again, I know people who have been deeply hurt by things that have happened to them. And sometimes we get mad at God. Why did you bring this cancer on my child? Why did you take this person's life away? Why did you let these things happen to me? I stopped asking why. And I started asking for forgiveness. And that frees us up from no longer having to have the burden of hatred and anger and carrying a grudge. And it's a massive relief. And without carrying that, those burdens, we can put our hearts back in a setting towards love and action towards other people. Wow, beautiful. Was COVID a PTSD moment for many? A brilliant question. Here's the thing. We've turned it into a PTSD moment. It really was not life-threatening for many, but with the constant barrage of the stress of seeing things on television, of people stacked up in makeshift morgues and hospitals, it scared a lot of us. And being told there's nothing we could do, that millions would die, this would be worse than the Spanish flu early in the 20th century. That was part. The second part of this was the isolation. Stay at home. Don't go out. Even don't go outside. We now know. We now know going outside would have been the best thing because the sun is a disinfectant, kills off viruses. Particularly for adolescents and young adults, this was very damaging. When we see the depression and anxiety rates among young adults and uh, and teenagers doubled. Suicide rates soared. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for adolescents and young adults, accidents being number one. I mean, those accidents are probably suicidal acts, too. So it's not just suicidal deaths, but it's suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. It's something like 30% of adolescents have said they've thought about suicide. 10%, 10% has said they have made an attempt. That's staggering. Now, once you have those attempts, that itself is a traumatic event. To reach that point of despair, say, I cannot go on. There's nothing there. And again, with many schools and institutions saying we can't talk about God, we can't say the J word, we, there's really a, a Christophobia out there. I say, no, this is the answer. Uh, this is important. I mean, my own local library won't let me talk about this book because, look, it says Christ on it. Can't talk about it. We get banned from places, too. Um, but faith grows sometimes where it's, where it's forbidden. And we have to push back on those things. But I think that what has happened out of the whole uh, COVID issue is it did increase 
depression, anxiety, suicide, and drug overdose deaths. Yeah. There's another part of this that's interesting to me. Um, and I guess it, it still deals in the area of depression. I don't know, maybe. But maybe the whole PTSD. If, if somebody isn't dealing with the PTSD in their life, and they're just lingering out there, um, could it, can it lead to false narratives? They begin, they begin to believe something that didn't happen? That's, wow, powerful question. So here's how this works. When I, when I talk about the initial event happens, many times we'll have amnesia for parts of it. I've worked with soldiers who literally have blacked out in their memory parts of the event that happened because it was so traumatic. The second thing people will do, they'll add elements to it. So uh, soldiers and police officers I've talked to when they've had a traumatic event says, well, this happened and this happened, and if only I had done this, I could have changed it. And yet I, well, I remember once being in, uh, in uh, Walter Reed Hospital, and, a, and a, a soldier was telling me all these things. He said, if only I'd done this, this my buddy wouldn't have gotten killed. And some of his other people from his unit were there and says, no, that didn't happen at all. You were nowhere near that. You were 20 yards away in a different building. He says, no, I remember it this way. But what happens is in our loop memory, because we, we want to put closure on this, and if we can blame ourselves, that's one way we can get closure to say, if only I'd done this, this person's lives would be saved. But we start to add elements that aren't there. We subtract elements that are there. We take responsibility for things we don't have responsibility for. Um, and sometimes we imagine things that have happened in our lives because we're saying, well, I'm upset and anxious and depressed, so something must have happened to me. I'll just kind of go through, and and they may latch on the news of the day and say, well, maybe that happened to me. Well, maybe it didn't. Uh, so it is a matter of, uh, that a big part of healing is humility and honesty and discovery. But even when I ask people, well, now that you know that this happened or may not have happened, you've developed these symptoms and these behaviors where the biggest problem is you become your diagnosis. So I am depressed. No, you have depressive symptoms. Um, I have an anxiety disorder, but that really means the anxiety disorder has me. I said, no, there's are symptoms. You can work on that. But, but when we create in our own minds this narrative that we are broken beyond repair, it's hard to repair. And we may add elements there that whether or not they're true, I say at some point it's over, it's done. And it's a matter of letting go. Gosh, that's so fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Can I get you back? <laughs> Anytime. Perry, I, I love talking to you because you get it. And I, and I say to people, when we're with people who hurt and we get it too, but thank you so much. I'd love to be back. Well, you bet. Let me just say our viewers and listeners, a couple things here. First of all, The Christ Cure, that's the title of the book. Check it out. Uh, DrTimMurphy.com is his website. Check that out. Uh, Dr. Murphy, one other last question. Uh, I've often said, and, may, and in this case, I'm trying to wrestle in my mind if it, if it applies here. But at the end of the day, there's only two things that cause people to change, inspiration or desperation. And my concern here is, if somebody is fighting PTSD, they know that something is wrong in their life. They know that they are suffering from an event. And they keep pushing it down, pushing it down. What advice would you give them today to reach out? Well, in my book, I list actually a number of things I call the killer Ds, where we, it's denial, deflect, delay, distort, all those things. And it really has come to terms of the, the question that I ask people is the question that Jesus asked people. I say to them, do you want to heal or do you want to hurt? And then I wait for their answer. And it may be seconds, it may be minutes. And think about this. When Jesus went to the lame man at the well, Bethesda, mm -hmm. he, said, he said, do you want to walk? He didn't say, hey, I see you can't walk. Boom. He didn't do that. He said, do you want to do this? You're blind. Do you want to see? Um, 
And that's a big part of it. So I, I say I, it's a simple question, not in terms of, well, here, go see this person, this counselor. I start with that point. Do you want to heal or do you want to hurt? Do you want to continue to do the things you're doing to push away the memory, to um, self-medicate the problems, or do you want to heal? And when they say heal, then at that point, we can say, okay, now let's find the right person to talk to, to help you through that. Uh, and, and there are people out there. Granted, there's not a lot of Christian counselors. There are many out there who can help. And I think that's an important way to go uh, for that. But I tell people, have hope. Even if you don't feel a lot of hope, at least imagine the possibility of hope, uh, that there is something out there and there's a better day for you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your own transparency. This is just amazing. And again, fulfillment of something I say so often, whatever God saves you from brings you through, turns around, makes you a minister too. And that's exactly what you're doing. Folks, Amen. check out the book. It's called The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. And check out his website, drtimmurphy.com. God bless you, my friend. Look forward to another visit. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.